Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? And welcome to episode number 1023 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, September the 27th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the podcast and all your favorite podcast providers and on Twitter at Locked On Raptors, where you get links to every single episode. We are free on all your favorite platforms as well. And I want to thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Coming at to you, got you a little bit later than we usually would, but that's because we were uh, fact-finding for today's podcast uh, all day long and had to bring it to you a little bit later on because media day is quite an excursion between driving there and driving back and all that other stuff and seeing all the pressers. Uh, so apologies for the late posting time today. Maybe too much apology for posting it late, whatever. Uh, as, as promised, uh, off the top of the show and on our tease on Friday, we are talking about media day today as the Toronto Raptors met with the media uh, and you know, big faces and names uh, answered questions and it was a lovely time. Mostly I was there for the free walk Water, and for the uh, seeing of people for the first time in 18 months, which was a lovely, lovely time. It felt like the first day of school, uh, except if you, it's like the first day of school if you started grade nine, but you hadn't bought new clothes since grade six. That's kind of how I felt today uh, with all my pandemic gear coming on in. I'm surprised it didn't show up in sweats. Either way, on today's show, here to talk about Media Day and all of its glory and our biggest takeaways from the day that was is our pal Vivek Jacob from Raptors.com, who was there out and about on crutches with his Achilles injury, which we've been uh, updating with bated breath every single week you appear on the show. The crutches are in behind you. It's beautiful accoutrement to the shot. Vivek, how's it going, buddy? Not bad, not bad. It was nice to have some sense of normalcy back in my life and being at the arena and Mm -hmm. seeing uh, you and Katie and all the other wonderful people uh, that cover the Raptors and then seeing the Raptors themselves. So, yeah, it was nice to just be out (laughs) out of my apartment. (laughs) it was really nice to uh have an alarm set in the morning to wake up for that's a thing i haven't really had in a long time i usually just kind of like wake up when i roll out of bed um and uh, yeah it was nice like being up before my fiance which never happens as well as she is a teacher who goes to school every single day like a real adult whereas i sit at home and talk about basketball Uh, i got to go do that in a uh, sort of more professional setting today it was quite nice so we're gonna dig into our big top takeaways from media day today the first thing we should start with with, I think, before we get into sort of, you know, player and coach and GM related stuff is the news that came down that the Raptors are a single second dose away from being 100% vaccinated, which is, I think, a relief to hear. It was something I was not necessarily expecting to hear after that Rolling Stone piece over the weekend talking about the sort of growing tide of anti-vax sentiment among players. We've seen many players today around the league kind of show their asses when talking about the vaccine stuff. Bradley Beal among them. Andrew Wiggins continues to deal, dig his heels in for some reason. Um, and it's uh, you know something I did not want to have to deal with on the Raptors beat. And thankfully, we don't have to because the Raptors are one second dose away. How much of a sigh of relief was this to you to hear, Vivek? And are you just kind of eager to put all of that sort of speculation as to what the Raptors' vaccine status might be behind you as we go into the season? 
Yeah, I'm I'm happy it's uh, behind us before we could even get started because I think for a little bit on Twitter yesterday as well, people were speculating on who among the Raptors might be unvaccinated and so great thing to speculate on Twitter about, by the yeah. way. Yeah, for sure a good use I, of time. I wasn't even sure how that got started, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, glad to know that they'll pretty much they expect to be at 100% vaccinated uh, by opening night and. You know, uh, they won't have to worry about who can travel, who can't, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they can just focus on basketball because, let's face it, they had a lot of time not focused on basketball last season. Yeah, and seeing as at least four of their games of the season will be in New York uh, between Brooklyn and the Knicks, and then, of course, L.A., San Francisco. That's another handful of games as well. I guess like seven total games that would have taken place in cities where you can't play if you're not vaccinated. Uh, just a, Well, Knicks and Nets would be eight, have right? To worry about. Four each. Yeah, but the two of them will be at home. All right. I was doing the half the, the road the road game math. Either way, you know, the, a, you know, a tenth of the schedule would have been in cities where you can't play if you're not vaccinated. So thankfully, that's not something we'll have to reckon with on the Raptors end of things. Um, let's maybe start with Bobby Webster, Vivek. You know, he spoke. Bobby is a very good sort of uh, guy who seems like he says a lot, but doesn't actually really in terms of like depth. Uh, it's kind of a master, uh, like an art, a masterful art that a lot of really good GMs have kind of come to hone. I remember Alex Anthopoulos was a lot like this with the Blue Jays, where he'd have all these pressers and it was like, this is amazing. The best thing a GM has ever said. And they look at the transcript and it's like, oh, they did not say anything at all. But um, any key takeaways from Bobby Webster, who began the day with about 20 minutes answering questions off the top at 10 a.m. this morning yeah nothing significant i I think the biggest thing he (laughs) revealed was the fact that the raptors expect to be back fully vaccinated um beyond that you know just looking at the team and just talking about how the team was obviously set back being in tampa last year and they're looking Mm -hmm. forward to having the comforts of home and uh just having a normal season again i think that was probably the other thing you know, uh, in terms of the normalcy, but you know, I don't, I don't expect Bobby to reveal too much. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the interesting thing is no Masai speaking today, uh, perhaps, you know, taking advantage of that bump up in, uh, status within the team. He said it, having to do the, the piddly little media day stuff. Yeah. What was, I wasn't, I didn't, attend the last one with Masai. What was his exact uh, quote that day? Well, right at the end when they were asking for any final questions, he was like, well, all right, that's it. You're not going to see me the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) What a king. What a king. Um, To that point, you were making about Bobby talking about being happy about in Toronto, like being back in Toronto. I think, you know, that was an obvious line of questioning that came up today and not terribly surprising that basically everyone who hit the podium was asked about it. Um, But I still do think it's worth noting that, like, they seem legitimately, like, very relieved to be back and not having to worry about you know, all the different extra stuff that came on top. And and they spoke really gracefully about their time in Tampa and how it wasn't all that bad and how they made it work. And, um, you know, it was more the losing than anything that kind of got them. But I think, you know, we've seen it with the Blue Jays as well. I think they're like 21 and nine since returning to Toronto and just like all seem a lot more comfortable. I don't know how you couldn't, if you're the Raptors, not be excited and just Glad to be back in a place where you know you're going to be all season long and not worrying about, oh, are we going to leave halfway through the season or um, is my hotel room going to be clean when I get back? Like, it's just not 
a thing they're worrying about. And then there was a lot of talk about like the excitement for fans and all that stuff. I certainly got a little bit stirred when uh, I think Fred Van Vliet was kind of going in on how exciting it's going to be the first day back and you get those fans um, sort of just welcoming the team home. All that stuff is, uh, I think, really, really exciting. And, you know, just, I don't know about you, man, but just the general vibe of being there, kind of being immersed in it all, even though it was different than usual and it was kind of spaced out and there wasn't like the workstations that you typically see set up and uh, it was a little bit sequestered, I, I just thought... Man, it's just so freaking nice. It's so nice to like be able to see the players in person again and like interact with them. Like you're not sort of these bubbles on a screen. Um, not that I did a lot of the zooms last year anyway, but I know you uh, were through that a lot, and it just seems like everybody's just happy that um, things are inching back towards normal-ish. Which you know, I guess it's not to be you know surprised about, but still, you know, it's a very clear sentiment that kind of ran through the entire day uh we're gonna get into, into some more tangible like basketball-y takeaways from nick nurse and fred van vliet pascal siakam and on down the list coming up in just a second here but first big v i got to tell the people about sleeper which is a wonderful wonderful app that is changing the way we play fantasy basketball and it really for me as someone who doesn't like the day-to-day grind of having to pick games every single day and pick my lineup every single day i like fantasy football for that reason it's like a once a week a commitment and it's lovely you can do this very much the same with sleeper where you're not just at the mercy of what the schedule is and having to pick you know your lineups every day you're not at the mercy of if you have a guy playing two games and the other guy that you're playing against has a guy playing four games that you're just going to lose because of math that's not the case anymore because sleeper has game pick it's only available on sleeper and it lets owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's total score ensuring an even number of games played between opponents the days of losing because your opponents simply had more scheduled games to play that week are over the days of mindless busy work are gone two in the days of giving up halfway through the season because of that busy work also over that is the sean guarantee if you invite me to your fantasy basketball league i am for sure going to give up halfway through the year because it's too much busy work but not if you invite me to play on sleeper you get to pick one game per week for each player based on player matchups home versus away opponent defensive ranking pace of play and more it adds up to more strategy and less busy work so you can beat your friends and say it wasn't just because of luck that's the fun of fantasy basketball is being smarter than your friends and if you're playing on sleeper you actually get to prove that you are smarter than your friends other than you know proving that you had guys who played more games that week because of the schedule whether you uh, prefer a redraft or keeper or dynasty game picks has you covered sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code and if you play fantasy football and like the weekly strategy of it all versus the daily busy work then you're going to love game picks download the sleeper app and start a league with your friends today you will not be disappointed Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device to let you catch the game live. You've got another that lets you stream your favorite shows and watching sports highlights that's done on your phone or your laptop or wherever else you might be watching your highlights. And you've got your neighbor's best friend login, best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again, ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and confusion. That Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. 
All right, Vivek, let's dig into some more of the sort of juicier morsels from Media Day today. I guess we can start with Nick Nurse. You know, the thing I was gearing up to ask Nick Nurse, actually, before he kind of answered the question for me was, you know, he's never had a lottery pick to coach before, right? He's only ever coached, you know, late first, second rounders, undrafted guys in terms of young guys and the team developmental projects. And then Scotty Barnes comes along and he's a number four pick. There's a lot of cachet tied to it. He's a project and all that, but also he's a very, very big investment for the team. And I was curious if, you know, there might be a bit of an easing in. I was about to ask him, like, does your approach to a lottery pick change at all? Or is it about the same as it is when you're moving along, you know, younger guys of a lesser pedigree? And he just came out and say in response to another question, uh, he's going to have a huge role for us and I want to get him as many reps as possible. I don't know if I totally expected to hear that. Vivek, did you have any sort of thoughts on Nurse's seemingly very eager approach to getting Scotty Barnes into games right away? Well, if there's one thing I've learned from Nick Nurse's comments over the years, it's uh, I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) So it was great to hear. I I will still wait to see it on the court, uh, what he means by huge uh, and and how involved Scotty really ends up being. I would love it to be the case. Uh, Obviously, uh, Mm -hmm. I've even said that, you know, for the time that Pascal Siakam is is out, I would love to see him in the starting lineup and getting those reps and accelerating that development. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. even if Chris Boucher might be the better better option at power forward to to start the season. So, yeah, it'd be great to see. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. Um, As far as the reps are concerned, I I, I think, you know, if you want to look at it as a theme, when you look at what Nick Nurse said about him, you look at what Goran Dragic said about Scotty, uh, Pascal, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I think it's very encouraging to see how much of an impact he's making already, whether it's his attitude, his approach, uh, and or his play. So I think uh, it's going to be a lot of fun this season just watching Scotty grow uh, into whatever role he's given. Yeah, that, that was another kind of takeaway was that uh, despite Scott himself not talking at all, he will be talking to the media tomorrow at OVO Athletic Center. Um, despite him not talking at all, he was kind of the talk of the town for the entire day from top to bottom. And, um, you know, I, I think based on what we've seen of Scotty Barnes, that doesn't terribly strike me as any sort of surprise <laughs> like he's he's a love lovely outstanding outgrowing like gregarious dude and that seems to really be kind of being um picked up on by the team and everybody involved and to your point about you know you've seen nick nurse say things before and then you know you're not so sure if he'll ever back it up i would counter that by saying Nick Nurse has proven that if you're six foot nine and play defense, he will love you like his own son. And so I could totally see Scotty Barnes being a favorite of Nick Nurse right away because maybe the offense isn't quite there. But we've seen in the past dudes whose offense isn't quite there who offer a lot on the defensive end are going to get a lot of runs. Stanley Johnson got a lot of run last year. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was like the sixth man in 2019-20. You know, even Patrick McCaw, not much offense, perceived good defense, and that was enough to get him in the lineup all the time. So I think... I will maybe sort of side on believing Nick Nurse on this one. And like you said, with Pascal out, and this was another sort of running theme talking about that first month or so, there was no hard timeline given, but, um, you know, it seems like about a month or so was kind of the guess here. It lines up with the timeline we were given in the offseason. You know, that's going to really, I think, 
force a lot of guys to step up into roles that maybe they're not super comfortable with. And it might be something where you see a lot of growing pains in that first month or so. And you see OG have crooked shooting lines because he's got too high of a burden or whatever it might be. I could totally see Scotty Barnes fitting into that as getting, you know, 25 minutes a game to fill in those power forward minutes. But, you know, maybe it doesn't always go like super swimmingly, but I think that's fine. And if he's getting the reps in the time, I, I think that should be priority number one. You know, again, as far as wins and losses and whatnot, I guess this was another thing we can talk about, too. You know, I I think the team, other than Fred, who, you know, threw around championship a whole lot, but I I think we know where he's got. He's coming at it from a pretty um, sort of level headed, you know, stance anyway. But for the most part, I think everyone kind of took the approach of, you know, this is going to be a bit of a different year for us. We're at a different point of our developmental curve, and it's going to be a learning experience in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I still don't think that means that they're happy to just like concede a bunch of losses and be happy to, you know, rack up another high pick. I think it's going to be a bit of a balancing act between their intense desire to win and the understanding that there's going to be some growing pains. And I'm interested to see how they grapple with that challenge. But uh, in particular, you know, Nick Nurse talked about this, right? He referenced power rankings and over-unders like he's some sort of mad online Raptors freak, um, whom we love, by the way, continue to support the podcast. We love mad online Raptors freaks. I am one of them. Um, But, you know, Nick Nurse kind of talking about that stuff. Like, did you get the sense that, you know, did you feel that kind of way too? Just the, you know, maybe there's not the same priority on winning at the highest level this year, but that's still always going to be kind of at odds with the way basically everyone in the core group from management down to the players has been kind of wired for the last few years here. Yeah, I think as you say that, it kind of rejogged my memory about what Bobby Webster said when <clears throat> Michael Grange of Sportsnet asked him, you know, where is this team at in terms of chasing that championship? And he kind of talked about mm-hmm. uh, those years in 14, 15, 16. And yeah, the goal is to win a championship, but uh, the growth isn't always linear and they're trying to figure things out. And this seems like a year where they'll be trying to figure some stuff out at the same time. There is that prove them element to uh, the power rankings and uh, the over under on 36 wins. So uh, I think they'll take that as motivation and they'll say that last year wasn't uh, a true representation of what they're capable of. And you look at the new pieces that are added to the roster and they'll believe that they can do a lot better than what the prognosticators have right now. Yeah, and I I think I'm sort of on the more optimistic side wins wise as well. I think they're going to be deep. I think there's, you know, a a lot to like about what their roster has. And one of those guys who I really believe in, obviously, he's going to miss the first part of the season. But a guy who I really think can drive winning for this team this year is Pascal Siakam. He was uh, he spoke, of course, uh, and he was also a, a big topic of conversation, particularly with Fred Van Vliet. Um, and I want to sort of ask you about both of those things. Let's start with Pascal himself. Maybe we'll get to Fred's thoughts on him after the uh, after the break here. But with Pascal, you know, I think notably, and I don't think I was the only person to notice this or tweet about it. Like he just seems like he's in a good place. He seemed pretty happy, chipper. Like he's usually not like the most outgoing with the media, but he seemed very happy to be there today, and, and just kind of seemed like a, a different kind of dude from last year. You know, what were your thoughts on what Pascal had to say? Uh, you know, he spoke a lot about, um, you know, a, a whole great number of things. You know, the struggles of last season, the piece in the New York Times uh, about not being the guy last season and all that. Um, what were your impressions of what Pascal had to say today at Media Day? Yeah, right with you. This is 
the happiest happiest he's looked in a while, at least interacting with the media. And mm-hmm. I think uh, there was a carefree approach to him that endeared us to him in the in the first place. And that's mm-hmm. been missing for a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think when I look back on the way he answered questions last year, especially, there was uh, a bit of defensiveness uh, about the way he would answer. There was a bit of insecurity in, you know, oh, you think that? Oh, you know, th- that type of thing. And And now it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. You know, he's not, you know, sort of looking at the questions through a keyhole and saying, oh, okay, you know, how are they trying to drag me down this time? And, sure. And I think, you know, he just took the questions at face value and and was completely uh, upfront and honest about everything, whether it was uh, his thought process in getting surgery or uh, being the guy, which is a term that he apparently doesn't believe in. Um, and, you know, just focusing on whatever it takes to help this team win. And, and even, mm-hmm. you know, those steps that he's talking about being honest in terms of get, getting better as a leader uh, for the young guys and just saying, you know, yeah. it doesn't necessarily come naturally to him to reach out to those young guys and say hey, something as small as, hey, how's it going? You know, mm-hmm. do you need help with anything? That type of thing. And clearly he's making that effort. And so that's all you can ask for. You know, if it doesn't come naturally to him, the fact that he's trying and that he wants to be that type of person, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, totally. I thought it was really nice hearing him speak today. It's like, uh, it's funny. We do this with like muscle watch, but this was like smile watch. Uh, and it was like legitimately like the, the, the happiest shape he's been in in years or whatever the hell. Um, it really, it was like totally noticeable and palpable. And I thought, you know, he was super honest, I think, in sort of talking about the struggles with the sort of shadow of Kyle last season, right? And I think that was another sort of through line from today. And I don't think anyone's like happy Kyle Lowry is gone by any means. So that's not what I'm saying here. But I do think there is sort of a, you know, a confirmation that we got today that, yeah, it might have been the right time. And and passing the keys over, like Fred, Pascal, OG, they're ready. And they're okay with that. And they are ready to kind of do this thing without the big brother kind of looking over things. And and I think that was a nice way of sort of... um, you know, looking at what Pascal said, you know, he he sort of talked about how last year he gets the max contract comes in and, you know, he still wasn't really sure Kyle's such a big presence and he wasn't just going to, you know, fade into the background and not be that guy because that's not what Kyle Lowry is. And he's never going to sort of back down or anything like that. I think Fred might have actually made that exact quote, but either way, you know, both guys kind of talked about it and how, you know, there was that sort of shadow and now that's not there. They can't kind of hide behind that shadow and not do that leadership stuff either anymore. And so I think it's going to kind of put those guys in a position where maybe they're uncomfortable. I don't think Fred's uncomfortable. We'll get to Fred in a sec. That dude's the most comfortable man in the world. But um, in terms of the comfort of Pascal, like, you know, maybe he's not quite ready for that leadership stuff, but he's damn well better, you know, get get used to it this season. And I think he's ready for that based on what we heard him say today, which is very nice. Um we're going to talk about Fred Van Vliet on the other side. Uh, I could probably talk about Fred Van Vliet's uh, availability today for uh, like an hour because Fred Van Vliet rocks and there was a lot of good stuff in there. I also want to hit on Goran Dragic as well because uh, he spoke and I think did some good damage control for those who uh, were sort of <laughs> had preconceived negative notions towards Goran Dragic. We'll get to that in one second here. But first, 
want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who we've been talking about Built Bar for like over a year now, and I'm telling you, they're amazing. I, I don't know what else I can tell you about them. They have great flavors, they got a wide variety of flavors, and they have bars that are good for you, and they taste great. Uh, like I said, they got nine staple flavors in the regular lineup. They got, you know, bonus flavors that pop up from every, from every now and again as well, including cookie dough chunk, which is in my fridge right now, and it is freaking delicious. I had a thought while I was eating the cookie dough chunk, because it tastes just like a candy bar. I thought, you know what they could do? They could definitely bring this to a county fair and deep fry it and sell it, and it would it would be absolutely delicious. That's how good it is. It reminds me so much of like a Snickers or a Mars bar in terms of taste that it had me duped into thinking, hey, this would be good deep fried at a carnival. Uh, it's really, really good. I don't know what to say. They, they, they have 17 to 18 grams of protein in all their bars. Calories range from 130 to 180, much less than your standard candy bar. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and you get that good protein in India so you can get through a workout or whatever else it might be to power you through your day. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all good for you. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Big V, uh, let's talk about Fred Van Vliet, shall we? He had, I think, the longest availability of anybody today, maybe even longer than Nick Nurse, if I'm thinking, or maybe I just was like caught up in Fred more, so uh, I didn't really mark the passage of time as he was talking. Uh, you know, I, I think the key takeaway is the dude's ready to kind of be the front-facing voice of the team if he wasn't already. Like, he, he very much assumes that role without Kyle around. And, you know, I, I just thought there was a lot of stuff we can get into from what he had to say. What sort of were you left thinking about after Fred spoke uh, today at Media Day? And sort of what do you think were your big takeaways there? I think my biggest takeaway is that Fred is exactly the type of guy you want leading this young new era because mm -hmm. when he spoke about being able to be vocal and just be himself right from year one uh i think he will recognize how much that did for him and then he mm -hmm. will try to offer that same type of support and guidance to you know scotty and, and all the young guys involved, whether it's Precious, Delano, you know, in the opportunity that he gets, whatever it might be, you know, and I think he's uh, going to push him at the same time too, right? Like all those guys, mm -hmm. when they look at Fred, they'll know that this is a guy that didn't walk into a role, right? He wasn't mm -hmm. given minutes, anything like that. He had to work his way up and, and now he's the leader of the franchise uh, along with Pascal and OG to a lesser extent. Um, so I, uh, yeah, that's my biggest takeaway. You can't be m more, I can't be more excited, uh, to have Fred as the leader of the franchise going forward. Um, there's no one better, uh, to take over the reins, uh, with Kyle gone. Yeah, the team is in extremely good hands, uh, and he promises to be a better quote than Kyle Lowry ever, ever was. We love Kyle, but man, did he not like talking to the media. It seems like Fred actually enjoys it, although he did say that he does not care about non-basketball people's opinions, which uh, ruffled some <laughs> feathers within the group of non-basketball people grilling him with questions. Uh, but man, he's right. He's like, I, I trust Bobby Masai and Kyle Lowry. Those are where I get my best basketball opinions from. And he needs, you know what? Fair point. You don't need to be listening to the podcast for your takes, uh, Fred. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought my sort of favorite thing that he did today, he was asked about 
Pascal and the guy conversation from the New York Times piece. And he gave like a really thoughtful answer about it. Um, you know, paused, like was kind of taken aback by the question for a second, started up, paused again, and then dug into it. And they just gave like a really thoughtful answer about the difficult sort of nature of taking on that kind of role and knowing where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing when you are quote unquote the guy and all the different dynamics that are at play when you don't aren't when you're not in the room you don't understand those those dynamics are at play when you're not on the floor playing at that high level you don't know where those dynamics are at play I thought that was like I'm not doing a very good job of sort of detailing the overall answer but I think you know, it just was a really thoughtful sort of almost defense of Pascal. And I was really glad to see that. It does seem like everyone's really rooting for Pascal. He talked about Pascal a lot and how excited he was and, and how sort of last year was out of character a lot in a lot of ways for him. Um, what was your sort of thought reaction to that specific answer when he was asked about Siakam and the whole guy conversation? Just love the honesty. I, I think, <clears throat> you know, when you think about the elements that go into being the man, there's the on-court aspect of it, and mm-hmm. uh, there's the off-court aspect of it. And I thought, you know, he spoke really well about both. And just, you know, Kyle Lowry, regardless of where he is in his career, as long uh, as long as he was wearing a Raptor uniform, there's going to be that weight around him that's always mm-hmm. going to be difficult to escape. Uh, and so uh, dealing with that and... Uh, you know, he talked about the flow that he and Pascal had when Kyle was resting uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, nursing, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Protecting the bag. Protecting yeah. the bag. That's the best way to put it. Um, yeah. yeah it, you know, I think there's just that freedom which with which they could play. And, um, you know, when Kyle was around, they had to sort of be a bit more circumspect in their approach and um, Mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, step on anyone's toes because they, as Fred made very clear, the relationship part of it is great. No one Mm -hmm. dislikes each other. You know, it's just, you know, a natural feel that comes with and without Kyle Lowry. That's hard to escape. Yeah, I mean, I think if you think back to 2018 Media Day when Masai gave the impassioned plea to Raptors fans to believe in their city, believe in themselves, stop being so inferiority complex about every goddamn thing. Um, I think you could sort of, if you're looking for like the advice to take from this, I think it's probably in that answer that Fred gave about Pascal where he was talking about, and this wasn't like directed at, you know, Raptors fans or anything like that, but I think there was like a really good kernel of wisdom in there. And it was that, You know, Pascal gets the max, and there's this sort of external expectation put on him to be a quote-unquote max player, be quote-unquote the guy, or whatever word you want to use for it. And I think that's sort of the lens through which Raptors fans and sort of the general media that really seem to, you know, drastically underrate Pascal after the last year and a half now, like, I think that sort of seeped in and became just sort of overwhelming for Pascal in a lot of ways and it was sort of the thing that he was judged against but like the structure of the team 
wasn't really set up for him to ever possibly achieve everything that everyone would have hoped for him. And again, it wasn't his best season. He had his, his down points. He shot poor, poorly from three and all that. But if you look at the sort of grand scheme of things, he was a very excellent player last season in, in most situations. And that got missed because very good, very excellent, whatever, you know, borderline all-star-ish is not quote-unquote max player, which we've talked about it before. The whole max player thing is stupid. There's like 50 max players in the league. Not all max players are made equally. So shut up about it and stop using that as a barometer. But... I think that was a really sort of smart way to look at it from from Fred's side of things and sort of, I think, explaining, you know, the difficulty that Pascal would have gone through last season that Pascal didn't quite get into himself. But, you know, we touched on it a little bit. I thought Fred kind of crystallized that thought a lot better. Um, And, uh, you know, if you're going to come away with one piece of wisdom, it is stop viewing players as like this one sort of thing that they have to be have some nuance to it fred used the term nuance like 15 times that's the other lesson just have nuance with the way you look at these things and you'll probably be less angry about what your basketball team is doing on the floor as a result um last one i wanted to throw at you big v is goran Dragic spoke uh and you know did some I think, wonderful Toronto pandering. He uh, <laughs> talked about Steve Nash quite a bit. I'm sure that was on the list of things passed over from PR. Uh, he apologized again for the quote that kind of came out wrong, maybe lost the translation a little bit uh, over the summer, um, you know, about just sort of the, it's not the place I want to be or whatever the, the, the quote was. Apologized again for that. I don't get any sense that this dude's like itching to be out of here. Obviously, you know, I'm sure if he got traded to the Mavericks or something, he wouldn't be upset, but like, I don't get the sense that this is going to be like a toxic presence in the Raptors locker room that's going to be kind of weighing things down. Dragic seems like a totally fine guy, and I I am fully certain that people are going to grow to love him. I officially have moved up my over-under date of when people like Goran Dragic on mass from November 15th to November 8th. I've moved it up a week after today uh, because he just seemed like a likable enough dude, and he doesn't really... Um, strike me as someone who's going to, you know, kind of be a cancer in the locker room or anything like that. You know, I don't think that's an unfair term to throw at anybody, but really did not get that sense from Goran Dragic today. No, and again, it kind of goes back to the nature of the fan base, right? And jumping all yeah. over that one quote, which he's now apologized for twice. So yeah, uh, I don't know what more you need uh, to move on from that. Goran Dragic is the definition of the player that you hate to play against and love to have on your team. Like, yep. He is still good. He is still a productive mm-hmm. NBA player. He can still help. Um, and based on his international experience, his NBA experience, there's a lot that he can provide as a vet on this team. And that's something that he talked about over and over again with the young guys, you know, yeah, Pascal, OG, Fred, they've won a championship. They know how to get it done. Um, but those other guys, uh, you know, the type of influence that he could have on someone like a Malachi Flynn. Um, you know, I, I think that's really positive. And you you can already see the way he talks about Scotty Barnes. Uh, he loves interacting with him. Uh, so <laughs> I think as, as long as he's in Toronto, um, he's going to be fully invested and be fully professional about it. And I think he's going to add, you know, a, a positive impact on the roster as well. Yeah, I'm with you totally there. Uh, but I also loved he was asked uh, kind of like about guys in the team that impress him that he's like, and he just like came up with OG pretty quickly. Uh, he's like, yeah, OG used to guard me. I know what he can do. It was a pretty good, uh, <laughs> pretty good way to pander to the OG heads out there, I think as well. Um, you know, the point he made about 
you know, he's in his 14th year or something like that now, and he's actually, like, excited about kind of imparting wisdom to younger guys. Like, he's going to get plenty of opportunity if we're sort of penciling in what the bench lineup's going to look like, especially if Chris Boucher is going to start off the start of the season and be in that four spot. I mean, he's going to be playing next to most nights, you would think, if they're doing the hockey changes, which they might not. But if they are, Malachi Flynn, Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua, Yuta Watanabe might be in there, like... He's going to be playing with some young dudes, and I think he's going to be a really good steadying force to have out there in lineups that, without him, could get a little chaotic. And we saw last year those sort of ragtag second units without a lot of sort of direction were at times really fun, but also mostly pretty bad and ran into a lot of trouble. I feel like Drogic kind of being out there to be like the adult in the room in a lot of ways is going to be super valuable and it seems like he's ready to embrace that uh which is lovely i'm really looking forward to watching him play and seeing what he can do and um you know again november 8th that's my over under people are gonna be head over heels in love with goran Dragic by that date uh and uh i'm i'm happy to stamp that that might be part of our over unders actually uh let's do like a weekly power poll uh during the during the season do you like Dragic yet yes or no (laughs) um either way uh uh, that feels like a pretty good place to leave it, unless you had any parting thoughts. Scary Trent Jr. spoke, didn't really say a whole lot. Uh, doesn't really match the on-court demeanor with his on-mic presence. That's totally fine. Not everybody likes doing that stuff. It's cool. Um, but what's your uh, any last thoughts here before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, I think you know the one thing is I like that Fred kind of put it in everyone's ears that uh, the all-defense stuff uh, needs a <laughs> bit of a refresh and People need to yep. wake up to what uh, certain guys on the Raptors are capable of doing. So and I think that's an important part of it. I, I hope Fred is on that on them throughout the season and letting people know exactly what he's about on that end of the floor. Yeah, that should be fun. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, all defense voting is always pretty bad, but last year felt especially so because a couple of Raptors got totally uh phased out even though they played more minutes than matisse Thibel. that's fine uh anyway that's gonna do it for today's show uh big v you're gonna be back later in the week on wednesday we're gonna talk about fred van vliet and continue our series of episodes about what a successful season would look like for some key members of the raptors uh katie heindel is gonna pop on the show later this week as well we got a load of week as we are back to daily posting uh still not sure what tomorrow's episode will be just yet but i might run through some of the mailbag questions i did not get to on the last episode of the show that I did. So you have that to look forward to as well. Uh, that'll do it. Big V, where can people check out your work? Raptors.com. Uh, I'll, ha- I'll still be doing some work uh, here and there for Complex Canada, CBC Sports. That's where you can check it all out. You can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of today. Go make your second listen, Locked on NBA. Well, why don't you? They're doing a wonderful job covering all the media's day across the league. Uh, and I'm sure there will be plenty of talk about uh, problematic vaccine takes and other things, if that is your bag. Or they have other good basketball content to get you through as well. Either way, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye bye 